Hello Life Changers, thank you so much for joining us. We have got an amazing word for you, so why don't you lean in, grab a notebook and pen, and get ready for what God has to say to you today. Thank you, Mark. Great to be together this morning. As Mark said, we normally at Century City this time, um, so we, we left Gabe un, unsupervised this morning, so um, it's always a little bit risky with Gabe, um, but great to be together. Just a shout out to Carl and Tash, some dear friends of mine that have, have come with us across cities and moved across countries with us, and we really appreciate you so much. Great, great to have you here this morning, um, but I'm very excited to share God's word with you, and I, I'm going to jump in with a story about my family. There's a, a, a photo up there of, of my family, that's me on the left, um, and obviously, there, there's he there. Um, that's Amy, my wife, and our two little champions. Um, Zach's just turned three, and uh, Christopher's turning two in January. Um, so we, we're enjoying life. Things are great. Um, but really, um, that's the, my family is my pride and joy, and my greatest faith story relates to Amy and I. The, we have seen the Lord move in a miraculous way is the story of Amy and I. And I just, I remember the day so clearly. It was almost 10 years ago today to this day. It was the 10th of October, 2012. I remember sitting in, a, in an office um, in Santon and I, my, my phone rang and it was a number I didn't recognize. Um, if it's a number from Durban, I normally don't pick those up because it's some telesales thing trying to, trying to sell you something. But it was a cell phone number and I thought, let me, let me, it's probably good that I answer this. And if any of us are in an open plan office, you pick up your phone and you walk outside. You know how it goes? You take a private call. Um, I, I said, hello. He, the, a person on the other side of the phone said, hello. I said, hi, it's Scott speaking. So he just said, just to check, is this Scott? So I said, it is. So he said, it's, it's Herman here. So I said, hi, how's it? How's it, Herman? So he said, do you know who I am? And I did. And um, he said, just to clarify, I'm Amy's boyfriend. Amy, my wife at the moment, her, her boyfriend at the time, phoning me. Just to clarify. And his words to me was, I want you to stop talking to Amy. I want you to leave her alone. I mean, my response, which I thought was fair at the time, was in a very nice voice. I said I would stop talking to her when she tells me to stop talking to her. Anyway, things escalated. Um, we, we would have boxed, no doubt, if we were in the same city, but luckily we were in different cities. But just to rewind, not fast forward, rewind a few years to this point here. Amy and I were young, and we were dating, and life was looking good. And just in that relationship, it was just things got super challenging. And things got a bit difficult, and, and we just ended up fighting more than what we enjoyed each other's company. And I decided to break things off, to break up with Amy, my current wife. Um, it also happened to be the night before her final year exam um, <laughs> at university that evening. I know, yeah. She, she still aced it, so we'll, we'll give her that. Um, but we, we, went, we went our separate ways, and we broke up and, and went our separate ways. And this journey... Through, through the years, it was a number of years, the Lord started speaking something inside of me. As I started to seek Him honestly, pursue Him, I just felt this thing started to drop inside of me that, that Amy was the person that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. She was the love of my life. I had made some mistakes in this, in this area and this time together, but I wanted to be together with Amy. I wanted to get married to her. But as we know, as time goes on, people move on, right? And Amy started seeing somebody else, and that was, it was a phone call. 
to, to Amy at the time to basically profess my love for her, to tell her I'm sorry about all those other things, to tell her we've got a future together. I mean, she was seeing somebody at the time, but I thought it was a phone call that had to happen. I mean, things could have moved forward, you know. I had to, what, there were things that had to be said. And as you can imagine, it went off like a, a nuclear bomb in that relationship. I had words with him. And basically, after that phone call, Amy told me to get lost in a very nice way. Um, and then a few months later, I got the message through Facebook, which is how, how we hear all about all our big news, that, um, that they were engaged. Amy and this loser, I mean this guy, Herman. I didn't, uh, I didn't, no, I'd, he's actually a very nice chap. He really, he really is. He really is. He really, really is. Um, a very nice guy. Um, and they, they, were, they were engaged to be married. And I just, in that moment, I just remember these moments so clearly. Just the, it feels like my world was falling out from under me. And just what I felt stirred about, what I felt convicted about, what I felt like the Lord had told me, just felt like a world and a lifetime away. And, it was, and now it was completely out of my hands. There was nothing I could do. And I just remember a, a really a change of approach in terms of taking things on my own and feeling like I'm going to bash walls down and just run and take what's taken, and go and do, and, and as opposed to now in a position where the only thing I could do was to surrender it to the Lord. And I did it day in and day out. For the better part of two years, I was on my knees every single day about this thing, saying, Lord, I feel like you've put something inside of me. I can't shake it. I can't get, let it go away. I feel like this is the right relationship for me. And even asking things like, can I make contact again? And just feeling like, no, no. The answer was no a thousand times. And then one day, things opened up. It felt like things had opened up. And we got in contact through a mutual friend. She had subsequently called things off with that guy. And we had coffee, and we were married within six months. It's a wonderful story of God's redemption in my life. It really is. And going from a place of getting that phone call and hearing the news to where we are now, it was a journey. It was. But we can go to the next side. CR, our current reality, sometimes our current reality can feel so far removed from what God has said to you or what God has spoken to you or what you hope for or what you dream for. And we all come into this room this morning with a current reality, right? We all come into this room this morning with things as they are. Things as they are. Not things how you hope them to be or how you wish for them or how you'd like them to be in a year's time or two years' time or even next week. You come into this room this morning with things as they are. And I would like us to work together through Scripture to ask the question of how do we move, how do, how do we make that move from our current reality to the promises of what God has in store for us? What does that look like? What does that practically look like of moving towards what God has in store for us. So we're going to work through Scripture. I'm very excited about preaching this morning and just touch on those key points in terms of moving together with the Lord. Let's pray, and we're going to jump, jump into the Word. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are molding us, shaping us, and that you are changing us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We're going to read from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, a little gem of a book. Uh, uh, it's my favorite book in the Bible. I'm not sure if we're allowed to have favorite books of the Bible, but this, this one is my favorite. And a lot of the Old Testament is read um, or written by a narrator. So somebody a little bit removed from the story and would sit there and basically retell the story in the text in terms of how things are going. Nehemiah is a bit different. 
It's, it's, for lack of a better term, it's an autobiography or a memoir. Basically, Nehemiah writes the words as they are his own words to say this is how things played out. And I'm just on the screen behind me. I've got some memoirs or autobiographies, just current ones. Um, I don't know how many of you love reading here. Um, I, I used to love reading and now I've got kids. Um, but this is, this is some books that have been written recently. And it's just so interesting. I haven't read them all. But as you read them, it's, it's often a current theme. It's a constant theme through them. It's about how one person beat all the odds, knew everything that nobody else did, could foretell the future, and ran into success with the wind blowing through their hair, as Richard Branson looks like in the top left corner there. But I, I, we, look at, we look at Nehemiah, and we're going to read the text now. He comes from a different approach. Just think of this text as his autobiography, and let's, let's read it together. Um, it starts like this, as an autobiography should. It says, the, war, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakali. And just a, a, some very quick context. Um, he was Judean, and their home base, their hometown, would have been the town of Jerusalem. So they, they, that's where they would have grown up. That's where they would have dwelt. That was the promised land of what God had said. This is your, your hometown. And just through, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but just through disobedience and not knowing who they were and not knowing they're God's people, they get kicked out into exile. They get removed from their hometown. And he basically gets word of what had happened. I don't know how many of you have seen um, Gladiator, the movie, but it's, it's that kind of a scene when he, just, when he hears what's happened to, to his farmland back back home. You can just imagine, you can imagine the scene. And I'm going to read from verse 3. It says this, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. This is his home where he would have grown up. Um, Nehemiah responds, he says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love and those who love him and keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. I confess. And then to jump down, I'm going to jump down to verse 11. Um, he, pray, he wraps up his prayer by saying this, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of the servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the, in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. It's this, it's this beautiful response as Nehemiah gets, gets news of his current reality. This is... His response. It's his response to that news. And I'm, I'm not, again, I haven't got time to run through the whole book. It's a beautiful book when you, when you have time. But basically, Nehemiah is the hero of the story. He, he manages to get resources from the king. He gets a letter. He goes and he rebuilds this wall in 52 days. It's, it's, a, it's a miraculous feat. He goes and he, he bashes things down. He, he has war, wages war, basically builds with one hand fights with the other hand, um, he's got internal squabbles going on in his team, but basically overcomes all the odds to, to have victory for the Lord. But at the time of this prayer, and at the time that every one of us is right now, we don't know what the future holds. 
You don't know with beyond a shadow of a doubt what tomorrow will even bring. Nehemiah, it's easy to read a, a, a passage or, or a Bible book and think, yeah, nice, things all played out. But at the time that he prayed this, he had no idea which way it was going to go. And he breaks down and he says, Lord, I have faith. I have faith for what you have called me to, and let's run together. Hebrews 11 verse 1, and this is the crux of it. The, now faith is the assurance, confidence, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance, another way, another word for that is confidence, and conviction is a, is a firmly held belief. That's what, that's what faith is. And, and the, the challenge, or the, the, often the challenge of faith, is that it needs to be rooted in our current reality, yet hopeful of what God wants to take us into. What it isn't, what faith isn't, is praying to the Lord as though you are the better version of yourself, as though you are the future version of yourself. So often I've been, I got stuck in that trap where it's just, you feel like you'll say, um, when my kids are out of the crazy phase, I'll do this or start that or stop that. When I have met somebody that I'm going to marry, then I'll do this. When this person is out of my life, that, that isn't faith. That is, I think it oftentimes is wishful thinking, and we often postpone things unnecessarily. Faith, faith is rooted right where you are. It's rooted in today, and it's as we experience the Lord in our honest, in, on our honest engagement with Him today, we're able to take, to take that forward with Him. So my question, a question to you this morning, and it is a, it's a challenging one, is what moves you? What, what really moves you? Nehemiah gets this, um, this news, and he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord your God. What, what moves you? What moves you? What really, what really moves you? What shakes you? What causes you to get upset, to want to do things about? Uh, as I've touched on, I've got two little boykies. Um, and it, for the parents here, you'll be able to relate immediately. If you don't have kids, just think of somebody that you care deeply about. But imagine, imagine you get a phone call. You're sitting wherever you are. You get a phone call to say they, they, they refer to your child's name and they say there's a medical emergency. You must come. It just, I mean, we, it's the phone call nobody, no parent ever wants to get. But I, I, I just know what I'll do. I'm going to step out of whatever meeting I'm in. I'm out there. I'm in my car. I'm slamming down that accelerator. I'm bashing over walls. Speed limit. Cops are going to try to stop me. Whatever the situation is, I'm going, and I'm going to get to my boy, and I'm going to help him. And it just it feels like the urgency, the urgency of that type of response is what Nehemiah had in that moment in terms of saying, Lord, it's, it's not okay. It's not okay. The situation's not okay, and I need to act. I have to act. And that's, that's a, a start of our journey of faith is an activation, not being stuck where we are, not staying stuck, but saying, Lord, you've spoken, and I'm, and I'm moving. I had a coffee with Mark at Bootleggers, um, their table view. He, he spends a lot of time there. Um, <laughs> if, you, if, he's not, if he's not in this building, he's probably there. Um, you'll probably find him there. Uh, he's actually got a reserve table on the, on the left there. Um, it's actually quite nice being up here. There's no, there's no comeback. There's no feedback. <laughs> Um, normally Mark's got a sharp chirp back and it's, it's just quite nice, anyway. Um, but I was having a coffee with him and, and basically just talking through um, my current reality 
just being very honest and talking through where I was, um, what's going on, what are some of the challenges. I mean, just, just being very real and honest about where my life is. And he, he listened, and I, his response was so interesting to me. It wasn't, to me, it wasn't about, let's look at your, your weekly planner. Let's have a look. Let's see where we can create space. Let's, let's have a look at that. Is this relationship causing you anxiety? What, what should we do about it? What's the conversation we should have? What's the strategy? Where do you need to put up boundaries? Well, I mean, those are good things. But his question, it cut through all of that, and it stuck with me. And it's a question for all of us this morning, I think, is what do you have faith for? In your current situation, what do you have faith for? Because that to me, when you talk about moving, when you talk about activation, when you talk about stepping into something, that to me is a key question of what do you have faith for this morning? And as we've been going through the service this morning and worshiping together, there's a sense and an urgency around having faith for what God has called us into, what God is stepping us into. And I just, there are so many people in this room from different backgrounds, different scenarios, but you too would know those deep things in you that the Lord has spoken to you about, those hopes, those dreams, those aspirations. Maybe it's to reconcile with a child. Maybe it's to start your own business. Maybe it's, there's many different aspects of that, but you know that there are dreams that feel like a distant memory from your current reality. And I think this morning, there is faith in the room to, to, to spark us, to move us, to challenge us into what God has called us to. So Nehemiah, we take, take us back to our, our Bible character, this prayer that he prays, this beautiful prayer. Um, he basically, he moves, he's he down on his knees, he's praying, and, and you know where he moves to? The first place he moves to is into the presence of God. He worships. He worships. He gets this news. It's a bit like Gladiator. Can you imagine? Again, Hollywood would never do it. But imagine on that scene, he gets the news about his family and his farm being burnt. And in that, he starts to worship God. It's almost, it feels so counterintuitive, you know. The right response is sort of anguish. And, 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 and there would be that too, no doubt. I mean, there would be wanting to fight. But imagine that response. I don't know if Russell Crowe is that guy, but I mean, imagine that response of worshiping. Just worshiping, worshiping Jesus. Jesus, we love you. You're awesome. You, you've, I've just got the worst news of my life. I'm just in the, I've just, my whole world has been shattered. Yet, Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I love you. I lift your name on high, King Jesus. You're above it all. I worship you. And that's exactly what he, what he does. He spends time worshiping before he does anything, before he asks for anything. Before he goes anywhere, before he, before he phones a friend, he worships. He worships, he worships Jesus. Nehemiah 1 verse 5 says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenants of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. I just, there's something so powerful. That, and the reality too is he wasn't in a perfect situation. He was serving a foreign king who knew nothing about about the Lord, about God, about God's chosen people, and yet he worshipped. And I, I don't know if you're like me, but I've also been in situations where I've, I've been worshipping the Lord, and I'm giving my life to him, and then just between me and God, it feels like there's a, a boss sitting about, about here. And, it's, it's, and that's how it is, <laughs> just speaking for me honestly. Because sometimes it just feels like, Lord, my devotion is to you, but how am I supposed to serve this guy? 
or this lady? How am I supposed to honor what you've called me to in this environment, this toxic workplace, whatever it is? But I feel like Nehemiah, he paints such a beautiful picture on that. He comes in and he says, Lord, I worship you. I exalt you. And then he goes, knowing who God is, goes and engages in a, in a meaningful, respectful way to his current boss, basically. He was cupbearer. His big job was to taste the wine for the king in case the king got poisoned, basically. He would drink the wine. And that's, that's, that's what, what his, his key role was. He was close to the king, but he was basically a wine taster. And he goes and engages. I just remember also so clearly in a, a previous job, um, we used to call him flip. Actually, I didn't. Other people used to call him flip-flop. Um, it was a, I, had a, I had a slippery boss, you know. Just the, things always changed, you know. There was you up and down, you in and out. You, it just feels like as soon as, you've, as soon as you're dealing with the issue head-on, it's just, whoop, there's a quick turn. And, it, and then something comes back to bite you in a couple of weeks' time. Or you have an honest conversation to say, look, this is where I'm at and this is what I'm thinking. And then suddenly somebody else has heard about that and you're in all sorts of trouble. I'd, I had a boss that was, was, was challenging, as we say. Um, but something settled in me in terms of, Lord, you are my king. And first part, Lord, you're my king. Second part, I will serve this godly authority over my life faithfully. And I'll do it to the best of my ability. And I think we, we need to pick both those things up. And Nehemiah paints, paints a beautiful picture of this. So he, Nehemiah gets moved. He looks up. He worships. And then he falls on his knees. And he repents. He repents. And if his jeans weren't so tight, I would kneel before you now. But he repents. He repents. He lays his life. He lays it all down. He says, Lord, I'm sorry. He basically, he repents. He repents for his family. He repents for his people. He just says, Lord, we've messed it up. You don't see that in those autobiographies and those memoirs. You don't see the snot and trana on the, you don't see those messy cries in the book. Yet Nehemiah lays it all out here. He says, Lord, I'm on my knees. I'm, I'm messed up. I've messed it up. My family's messed it up. But would you forgive us? Would you forgive us? And I think this morning, we need to take hold of that forgiveness. Whatever you come into this morning with, whatever, whatever your life has looked like up until this point, there is forgiveness and redemption on offer for you. There is forgiveness. Jesus forgives. And no matter what you have done, if you come in with a repentant heart and genuinely say, Lord, I'm sorry, He will forgive you. That's a huge part of it. And another huge part is extending forgiveness to others. Extending forgiveness. And maybe this morning, maybe you feel so justified. And maybe you are. Maybe, maybe you are. Maybe you have been wronged. And there are, there, are real, there are real wrongs in this world and injustices and things, despicable things that people do. And I'm not, I'm not discrediting that. But holding on to those things with a hard heart or a clenched fist the only person you're going to be hurting is yourself. The greatest, the greatest gift you can give yourself, yourself this morning, you can give yourself this morning, is to forgive. It's not even a gift for that person. The forgiveness is between you and the Lord. And yes, boundaries. And yes, not to, not to stay in toxic environments. I'm with you there. But actually to say, Lord, I forgive them. And 
oftentimes it doesn't actually even mean going and having the conversation to say, I forgive you, because in that there's, often there's agendas that come with that. But it's just in yourself to say, I let that person go, the person who deserted me. Maybe it's the spouse that's sitting at home this morning that's, that you, you know your heart, is hot toward, your heart is hard towards them, that you know that. And yet there is forgiveness for you and there's forgiveness for them this morning if we will take it. It is the greatest gift you can give to yourself if we, if we accept it. Nehemiah, he, he gets the news. He's moved. He's shaken. He worships. He gets down on his knees. And he repents. He t- cries bitter tears, repenting for his people. And then what he does, he picks up what he's got and he runs with all that he's got. And I think for each of us here, if we can take on that posture of faith, that posture of faith, say, Lord, you are above it all. Would you change us, shake us? We worship you, Jesus. I repent. I am not, I'm not it. I'm not the answer. I fall way short. And then with what the Lord has put in your hands, we run and we give it a good go. And maybe that's your intellect. Maybe you're a good writer. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you've got skills for days with your hands. You can shape things. Maybe you're a good athlete. You're a runner. I've always aspired to be a professional soccer player. I had to let that go in a deep place. But maybe you're one of those things. Maybe you are, maybe there's an aspect of your life. You just know, Lord, you've given me a skill. You've given me something here. And I I can promise you, as you take that posture as Nehemiah did, if you can take that through, your life would look remarkable. It will be unrecognizable as we take Jesus on our side to achieve more than we want, what we could ever have hoped for as Jesus is with us. Your faith, it looks like something. It looks like something. The Bible, throughout, throughout the Bible, it warns, it warns of this wishy-washy, iffy faith or just using the right language but actually not having a living here, living here, having the right Facebook post, having the right conversations, having the right things to say, having all, living here, having all those things at your fingertips. And when it comes down to it, down to here, there's nothing there. And it's a challenge for me, but it's a challenge for all of us, is what does your faith look like? Is there something that's sitting in you, something that's there, something that's holding you together? Does it look like something? And I get very practical of what does it look like. It's not, it's not conversations. It's not talking. It looks like action. It looks like something. Hebrews 11, if you've got time, I would go and spend some time there. It's a, it's a beautiful passage. But just runs through these, these wonderful scenarios. It says, by faith, Noah built. By faith, he built. By faith, Abraham obeyed and went. Abraham went, built his house in a foreign land. By faith, Sarah had a child although she was many years past childbearing. By faith, Moses' parents hid him. By faith, he was able to step out of a kingship where he had all the rights in the world. It says, by faith, he left that to go to his own people to actually to, to have a life of suffering because of what God, God called him to. By faith, the walls of Jericho came down. It's by faith that things move in, the, in our current situations by faith that things change, that things fall down, that justice is administered. And my question 
and where we're going to land it this morning, is what do you have faith for? What do you have faith for? And it's to take encouragement. Maybe that is a, maybe it's a hard question to, to grapple with. Maybe it's a question you actually need to write down and to take back with you. But I have faith this morning. If we come with an earnest heart, with a sincere heart to the Lord, to say, Lord, show me what I should have faith for. I really have faith this morning that He'll drop something in each of you. Maybe some of you have got words that were spoken over for you, a prophetic word that you've got in a, in, a, in a journal somewhere. Go and find that. Go look it up. Go and see what, what, what does it say? What does it say about me? Because I am sure beyond doubt that as we go in faith to the Lord, that He answers our prayers and bring it close to home. By faith, I married Amy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. By faith, Shelley was healed at Century City. And by faith, a story, a life changer story, we went to go plant another church in Milneton, the so-called graveyard of churches. By faith, it wasn't by anything else. It was by faith. By faith, we plan to buy that field. It's a, it's a stretch by any stretch of the imagines, but by faith, we believe that it is possible with the Lord. By faith, you are healed. And by faith, we are saved. I wonder if we could stand together. I think there's a, there's a response that's needed this morning. I don't know your story. You know a small piece of mine, but I don't know what you've come into this room with. I really want to encourage you that it was the right thing that you came this morning. It's the right time, the right place. And the Lord wants to meet with you this morning to give you a clear strategy. These are the building blocks to say, keep worshiping, keep repenting, keep moving, and keep aiming for what God has in store for you. The word Nehemiah, the actual name means God who comforts. Another, another translation says the God who wipes away tears. The story of our faith it often is. It's a story, and it always actually is. It's a story of redemption. The Lord redeeming, redeeming things to himself. It's a story of redemption. And Nehemiah, he got news of the broken wall with holes in, and he, he went about his mission and got the wall repaired. He, was, he played the story of a redeemer. And it's a foretelling. The story of Nehemiah points towards the story of Christ, who is our redeemer. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.